My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. everyone and welcome back. This is your host Patricia and today I am sitting down with Courtney Caldwell. She's the co-founder and COO of Shearshare, a beauty tech startup. Welcome Courtney. Hello Patricia, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm so excited to get into your company and what it does. I find it to be yeah. um, such a clever startup. But um, before I start getting into some of that, I will read a bio on Courtney for everyone listening, but a quick roadmap for today's podcast. We will be looking at Courtney's academic background, and then we'll turn towards unpacking um, her company, Shearshare, and other current endeavors she has. We'll get into the logistics of it, as well as some of the philosophical endeavors and ethos of the backing of it. Then we'll look at goals that Courtney may have for the next three years regarding Shearshare and other endeavors that she is currently involved in. And we'll wrap everything up with advice that Courtney may have for those looking to um, follow in her footsteps or perhaps get involved with her current endeavors. Um, before I drop into all of that, I'm going to read a quick bio. Courtney Caldwell is the um, co-founder and COO of beauty tech startup Shearshare, the first on-demand salon and barbershop space rental app. The uh, website very quickly is www.shearshare.com. Courtney recently received an honor honorary doctorate degree from Miracle University and was named Inc. Magazine 2019 Female Founders 100 list. She is the recipient of the 2019 SMU Cox School of Business Outstanding Young Alumna Award and the 2019 Ada Lovelace Female Tech Founder of the Year. Um, she is a 2018 Dallas Business Journal Women in Technology and the 2017 L'Oreal Women in Digital NEXT Next Generation Award. Uh, winner. Shearshare is the first Texas startup to win Google Demo Day and is a YC fellowship and a 500 startups alum. Courtney lives in McKinney, Texas with her husband and co-founder, Dr. Ty Caldwell, and is mom to their 19-year-old son, Trey, a first-year cadet at the U.S. Air Force Academy. Um, that's so exciting, Courtney, and I kind of want to uh, climb all throughout everything that you are currently doing with Shearshare, and I don't know Let's if your do husband it. pronounces himself Ty. Yes. Or... Okay. 
You're correct. Making sure I got that one right. Um, <laughs> and so, but before we do that, I want to get into your academic background and your uh -huh. early professional life so we have like a really good history on you. Can you take us through that? Sure. Well, first of all, I think it's so important, um, and I forget this sometimes too, but I was an army brat. So I was a military kid, um, born in Santa Cruz, California. I don't remember California that much because we moved around a lot, right? My dad was a doctor in the, uh, the army. Um, but I attended private schools all my life until um, I went to school for my master's degree. So undergrad was at SMU at that Southern, Southern Methodist University in Dallas, Texas. Um, I knew exactly what I wanted to study as soon as I set foot on campus, which was marketing. Um, and I minored in international relations, of course, with having that background of traveling so much and having to be chame a chameleon in so many different um, environments. Mm -hmm. And then decided to go back to school for my MBA. And so did that at the University of Texas at Dallas. Excellent. So you went back for your MBA. Did you have a clear trajectory of what you wanted to do with it? Or did you go just to get that kind of massive, expansive education? Yeah, I had no idea, to be honest with you. Um, you know, I, honestly, <laughs> I do remember why I went back to school. Um, I had experienced three different layoffs in about the span of three years. And I was like, wait a minute, like this is a little bit too much. So instead of spinning my wheels, you know, onboarding at different companies, getting their marketing teams up to speed and then being uh, let go because of, uh, you know, there's issues with human resources or they're just, um, they're, there's there are different uh, reasons why the company needs to, you know, lay off some folks. I said, let me just bide my time and go back to school. At least I'm doing something that is a little bit more productive than what I'm doing now. And yeah. that's honestly why I ended up back um, in school getting my MBA. I always knew that I'd go back to school. I just didn't expect to do it so early on, but I'm so glad that I did. What was the first job you took after the, uh, receiving your MBA? First job after, well, while I was in school, um, I was working full-time. I was actually in full-time ministry, and not a lot of people know that. I worked um, for a radio ministry called Insight for Living. Uh, Chuck Swindoll and his wonderful wife, Cynthia Swindoll, they had a huge mega church out in California, moved up to Dallas. Um, and then started their own uh, ministry, radio ministry. So did that while I was in school. But the very first job I took after walking across that stage uh, was with a company that sold uh, Bible school DVDs and did that for about a year and a half and then jumped into tech. And I've been in technology marketing ever since. What? So do you have an area in tech that you specialize in with technology marketing or did you kind of jump around mm -hmm. from company to company? No, it's always been, um, depends on the size of the company. So if it was a smaller organization, I wore many, many hats, right? But it always led back to digital demand generation. Like how can we um, speed up the process of getting people through that funnel? Um, it was always based in a B2, from a B2B perspective. I never worked for a direct-to-consumer brand. Um, it was always these larger, even some SMB, but tech oriented organizations so is is that what primed you for getting ready to launch your share or was it something <laughs> else that kind of launched it I wish I could say that, Patricia. I don't think anything prepares you for entrepreneurship. Mm -hmm. um, and I never thought that I wanted to be an entrepreneur. I never set out and said, you know what, you know, by the time I'm 40, I'm going to be doing X, Y, Z, except being a great wife and a wonderful mother. Um, but never did I ever think that I was going to start something um, this massive. And I think that's because like education's always been huge in my family. Um, like I said, my father was um, a doctor. He was a physician. My mother um, worked at a college university as a professor. 
My grandmother uh, taught for, my gosh, 25, 30 years in public school education, pre-K and kindergarten, which I think are like the most difficult <laughs> age groups yeah. ever, besides high school, I guess. Yeah. Um, and even my brother, my brother uh, was one of a handful of African-American men to earn his PhD in optics and photonics and works at the Army Research Labs now. Mm -hmm. um, and can't forget my husband who earned his doctorate degree in professional barbering and cosmetology. So education has always had this uh, very consistent vein in my life ever since a child up until now. Um, and so entrepreneurship wasn't something that I always thought I was going to do. I just knew I was gonna go to school, get my bachelor's, gonna go back to school, get my MBA, and then I was gonna come out and eventually by age, whatever I had in my head at the time, become the highest paid marketing exec at the company. Well, I tell you this, once I hit that ceiling, I had to take a step back and go, huh, okay, so now that I've, I've done that, you know, what else is there to do? And I remember talking to my husband and I said, you know, there's, there's gotta be more. Like there, I, I can't have like stopped, you know, in the middle of my thirties and I'm, I'm, I'm here now, like what is there more to do? I guess I can go back to school, and eventually teach. So I want to do that. No, not really. I guess I can, um, you know, write a book. I guess I can start to you know, tour around the country talking. So I want to do that. No, what was exciting for me was being able to put my thumbprint on a lot of different businesses, right? To help them um, maximize their earnings potential, get more out of it, do more with less, etc. And so he encouraged me to start consulting. And that was the gig before Shearshare. And boy, am I glad that he encouraged me to do just that because it taught me a lot when I was running my own marketing firm about, you know, how to set up your business, right? Like no one, I don't just show up at nine o'clock on a Monday and my computer's at my desk in my cubicle. I don't automatically have a phone number. I don't automatically have benefits. Like you have to go out and get these various pieces in order to stand your business up. And I'm so glad that I did that. And so when we started Shearshare, um, it just felt very natural because I had been doing that all along. Um, but I'm so glad that we got to the point where my husband said, we got to jump and just grow our wings on the way down. And that's what we've been doing since day one. Yeah, I like that too. I've heard a lot of entrepreneurs say that there's a, a very similar kind of faith, you know, leap uh -huh. involved in, in entrepreneurship because no one's ever completely ready, you know, for mm -hmm. their launch, even people mm -hmm. who are serial entrepreneurs and right. constantly launching companies. I think there is something unique with every single jump um, and growing the wings is awesome. And hopefully, you know, you get them before you hit the ground. <laughs> so far, so good. <laughs> I like it. So did you, um, so you launched it with your, um, with your husband and uh -huh. how quickly, so let's get into some of the, like the nuts and bolts. When did you yeah. launch it? Did you guys take funding? Was it bootstrapped? How quickly did it eventuate? How did all that happen? Yeah. Um, we did not know that this world existed where people would give you money to go build your dream. Had no idea. So we just did what we knew to do. Like we saw a need, we were filling a need. Um, so the whole genesis behind Share Share was actually our own problem that we were trying to solve for ourselves. And it's call it selfish if you want, but now, um, you know, we're helping to upend um, hunt, uh, tens of thousands of beauty businesses out there around the country. Um, so my husband's been in beauty for 26 years, wrote a best-selling book on how to maintain long-term success um, in the beauty and style industry. We've been running our own award-winning salon um, here in North Dallas um, for almost 30 years now. It's been a long time. Wow. Um, and although I'm not the person behind the chair, like I was not gifted to have a cosmetology license, you know, as the wife of an entrepreneur, you're in the business anyway. So I was helping to hire different stylists and vendor relationships and branding and marketing, et cetera. Of course, going back to demand generation. 
And, and so one day we had um, a random phone call from a stylist. We had just expanded our salon. And usually how stylists find professional space to work is that they'll cold call um, until they find a home salon. But not just that, they have to sign a long-term contract. So not many people understand that their hairstylist, their barber, their esthetician, et cetera, has actually signed on like they're signing an apartment lease. So now I'm paying the salon owner, the barbershop owner, um, a weekly booth rent or a monthly booth rent if I'm not working by commission. Uh, and so we had the stylist call in and she said, hey guys, I found you online. You're in the perfect area. Um, I just moved about 45 minutes away down south. I am deathly afraid of losing like my the majority of my book of business. I need to make sure that I can get to them when they want me because you know they're going to pass hundreds of salons almost in that almost an hour drive, and I can I cannot let them leave me. So can I please just come in? I just want to rent your space for like a Friday Saturday. And Ty came home and told me this. And Patricia, you'll appreciate this. I laughed at him. I said, who who does that in our industry? Like, why would someone, is this a scam? Like, why would she call us and ask us to rent out like for a couple of days? Like no contract, no long-term commitment. That's very odd. And so he looked at me and said, you know, being the entrepreneur and what I call him the most unemployable person that I know today, um, he said, I'm going to go ahead and try it, babe, because, you know, I'd rather make, you know, some dollars because that space is just collecting dust. And I was like, all right, go for it. So he did, loved it so much to where that stylist said, hey, guys, can you now call a salon in this city and that city and do the same for me there that you did for me in North Dallas? I'm like, okay, sure. And then her friends started calling our personal mobile number saying, hey, I heard from this person that you guys do this. Can you find me a space in Vegas? Or I have to go home to Fort Myers, Florida next weekend or et cetera. And so, you know, I'm touring around. I was leading P&L at this time um, for Oracle. So I was in, head, uh, in control of our digital demand generation, of course, and innovations group worldwide and loved it. Um, again, probably parlaying my time and efforts into um, consulting. And I said, babe, this is starting to feel like a full-time gig. Like people are calling us every day asking for this like on-demand model. Just please go online, go, go search Google. Google has everything and find the app that does this. So the next time somebody calls, we can just say, oh, go download this. You know, it'll be a much easier experience for you. And we looked and looked and searched and could not find it. And so that was the aha moment for us. Yeah. Um, but even then, it took us three years. We were manually matching stylists to empty salon space for a long time. And I like to think that I'm a quick learner, but apparently I'm not. Until we looked up and said, okay, it's 2015. Are we really going to do this? And so 2015, we established the company on paper. Um, in 2016, uh, we started talking to companies. We were not um, technical co-founders by any means started talking to third-party firms to figure out how do we even build an app from scratch. And then uh, beginning of 2017, we actually launched our public beta. Uh, so we started out bootstrapping. We started out bootstrapping. We emptied our savings account. Um, at one point, Ty said, I think it's time for us to empty out our 401k. And let me tell you how painful that was. Yeah. Being the non-risk taker, or, or I should say maybe I'm a little bit more risk averse than my husband is because he's used to jumping off cliffs every day. 
Um, that was very difficult for me because I had that safety net, right? Like you have the golden handcuffs, you have your safety net and you think, you know, this is what's going to set me up for success in the future. Just keep adding my coins here. And by the time I hit, I don't know, 60, 65, I'll be ready to say, you know, thanks, but no thanks. Um, but we emptied out every account that we had, Patricia. And uh, so again, every time I tell this story, I feel like I have to say so glad that we did because today Share Share is in over 550 cities and 11 countries. And that is growing even as we speak. Uh, we're one of the very few companies that has been able to go through YC Fellowship and 500 Startups. Those are the top two startup incubators in the world. Yeah. Um, and then we've had some great advisors who have been there along the way to help us step foot into what we call you know, the startup world. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, that's a really fast growth. I mean, that's mm -hmm. a healthy and exciting ride. You know, mm -hmm. if your tech build and launch 2016, 2017, mm -hmm. it seems like the market must have just been hungry for it. What have been your, um, yeah. it just, it's only been a few years now, but what's been your yeah. greatest um, struggle thus far? Like what, mm -hmm. what did you guys have? Cause you were coming from, yeah. you know, a, a tech marketing background yourself. So you had some oh. idea, at least when you got the tech built, but it feels like while it's a ripe industry, it almost mm -hmm. feels too free. You know, I mean, mm -hmm. <laughs> are you manually calling just every salon in every city? <laughs> because what I understand about it is you have this index, right? But you have uh -huh. to get people to acknowledge and get on. You, you yes. have these two people, oh, yes. stylists, and then you have uh -huh. the salon owners and you're, you're right. matchmaking, right? Mm -hmm. You're doing that agency work. Yep. I'm wondering um which one is harder and which one is mm -hmm. you know when you're calling out to the masses sometimes yeah. it's like boots on the ground or uh -huh. have you found ways to kind of grab people up what's been the hardest part mm -hmm. and what's been the easiest part thus far yeah so so yes i did have the experience right with tech marketing but i've never had to market an app before right so never had experience um there and and so this is a completely different world for me um however i would say the most like I remember when we first started and it was literally Ty and myself cold calling salons because that's how you do in the yeah. industry. When you're a stylist and you got to find space, you just pick up the phone and start dialing for dollars and got hung up on a lot because, uh, again, they had the same guru reaction that I had. I was like, why would someone even call me to ask about that? So it was a lot. And when I say a lot, it was a lot of education um, that had to happen on our end to help the owners know, you know, that this was a different revenue generating potential for them. It was, uh, it, it was, I remember one Monday, I probably called about uh, 60, 70 salons. And I think I got hung up on probably 50 times. And then the 10 that did, uh, you know, listen for more than five seconds, you know, were super busy because these are not only salon and barbershop owners, they're actually operators. So they have their hands in someone's head, right? And so trying to figure out how to go about that very nuanced approach of trying to build both sides of the marketplace and finally deciding on building up the supply first was, was super important. So I wouldn't say that was the hardest thing. The hardest thing looking back over the last three, four years has been not having that experience in in tech where it relates to the actual coding because we didn't know 
when we had our MVP built out by a third party, um, that the world would look different once we started hiring our own in-house engineers. So I, if I could go back, I would have started hiring in-house talent sooner. Um, and I don't know if there's ever, anything that's been easier. I think the easiest thing has been once we started to build traction, the way that we built traction was really how the industry operates today, which is if you have a great, um, hairstylist experience, you tell somebody about it. If you have a bad experience, you tell somebody about it. And so getting those first few um, app reviews um, on you know, public, public domains really did help because our industry works word of mouth. And about 40%, upwards of 40% now of sheer share salon owners and stylists find us because of word of mouth. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and given word of mouth changing, right, with the, the first advent and then rapid growth and use of social media, how do you guys approach that? Do you um, do you do a lot of your marketing on social media? It's word of mouth, yeah. but there's different forms of word of mouth. Where do you put your mm -hmm. emphasis and which platform do you find most useful? Yeah, well, I'll tell you, we had an epic fail with Facebook <laughs> when we first began. Um, and so we have not, it, we chose not to invest there anymore. We thought that everybody, since everyone's going there, then that's where the holy grail has to be, right? Um, but we learned very quickly that uh, Instagram and Google are our best friends. Uh, before Shearshare, no one ever Googled rent salon space by the day or barbershop space by the day near me. Like no one rents, no, no one searched for those terms. And so we own those long tail keywords now because people are looking for that. And now there's actually an actual solution that they can download and all of a sudden find and book space to work um, by the day. Uh, so Google and Instagram have been our number one sources. And Google actually represents the lowest cost per acquisition channel for us so far. Ah, that's amazing. I mean, it's mm -hmm. so exciting. You don't really hear those oh, yeah. concepts anymore. It's such a saturated world out there. And so no. actually having those terms be, you know, you're the founding um, partners of that is so exciting. Mm -hmm. How, so, you, so you kind of mentioned, you alluded to growth and in-house expansion. You, yeah. It sounds like you brought on some tech, with, you know, some yes. in-house tech, which is super Very fun. important. What else have you, who, who else have you hired? Is it, um, is it, are you keeping it small? Are you expanding right now? How are you guys mm -hmm. doing? Yeah, no, we're currently hiring. Um, so for the first year, it was just myself and my husband. So a powerful team of two. Um, now we're a team of 13. Um, so we first started hiring, most people would think sales, but no, um, we are in the service industry. Um, and because a lot of people, like we we live, eat and breathe um, this industry, right? Like beauty has fed our family even before Sheer Share for over a quarter of a century. And so we're very sensitive to um, what their very specific needs are. So we knew we had to make sure that we provided top-notch service for these, again, service providers. And if we didn't do that well, we knew that we weren't gonna be able to service you know, this larger community of stylists and salon and barbershop owners. So first we hired support um, and service folks, and then we added, well, engineering first, and then service support. And then along the way, we've added um, more product folks um, geared towards listening more intently to our users every day, we have questions that we um, that we send out via text to folks, or maybe via email, or maybe they come to our website and answer um, bevy of questions for us. But even our beta group, like we, they're very vocal, which is great because we never have to like pull feedback from stylists or from salon and barbershop owners. Yeah. Um, and so we, we, so product has been a big investment area for us because we're betting on a few really big things in 2020, and one of those is a very personalized, like almost hyper personalized experience um, on the. Share, share app. 
Nice. That's exciting. Personalization yeah. is, is key, right? To, yes, it is. Um, to retaining um, customership on all mm -hmm. fronts. Do you Definitely. think that, um, so where are you guys, what are you looking forward to over the next three years? You mentioned 2020 mm -hmm. being this personalized experience. Have you yeah. looked further out at the next three years? Do you have growth goals? What, do, what can you mm -hmm. tell us about what you're doing? Yeah, every startup has goals, right? But if, when you look at how those goals were actually effected, like it, it's night and day. And so we on purpose don't plan too far ahead and hold ourselves to that because we have to listen to our consumers. Like we're always, always starting at zero and they're always starting from one. And so if we think, oh, we're going to, you know, paint this tree green and they tell us, no, people don't paint trees green, they paint them red. We're gonna change course and make sure that we pivot with what um, what our stylists and owners are saying that their needs are. Um, so, but for 2020, uh, we, we've heard them loud and clear on a couple of things. Uh, partnerships are gonna be key for us in 2020. So you guys can look for more of that from Sheer Share. But it's all getting towards this macro trend of solopreneurs who are independent uh, and they may be in a very creative space. Um, they may be um, a dentist. They may be uh, someone who trains people for a living. They may be um, a psychologist. Um, definitely in our world, they are licensed cosmetologists and barbers. What do they need as a creative to run their businesses where they're only paying for these much needed B2B tools when and where they need them? So how that plays out is not only can you download the ShareShare app and find a book space to work by the day, uh, but you can also um, go in and get your taxes done. And so quarterly taxes happen on the app. You don't have to think about it anymore. Your account is tied to your nice. bank account. It's wonderful. There's a deposit that goes in. It says, hey, Patricia, there was a deposit for $100. Was that business related? You respond back with yes. And then it then tells you, it looks like we need to save $1.38 for Uncle Sam. Can I go ahead and move that for you into your free tax savings account? And it does that. So every 90 days, you know exactly how much you need to pay the IRS. You never have to think about it. It's just done. And we're meeting them where they already are, which is on their mobile phones. Yeah. And we also had Lloyds of London reach out um, because they work very well with the sharing economy, you know, uh, clients such as Airbnb and such. And uh, they said, hey, you know, how could we better help you? And our response was, oh, let's talk insurance by the day. So imagine being able to, again, download the ShareShare app, find and book your space to work. Don't have to worry about your finances from a tax perspective. You can now get your liability insurance by the day for the couple of days that you, you may book that week. And then further on, thinking about how do I get access to tools? How do I get access to product sell-through? How do I get access to equipment? Again, going back to that on-demand model. What B2B tool do I need to be successful in my business that I can pay for when and where I need it? Absolutely, that's so exciting. Do you have, do you think that there is an area or a population or a genre within your industry that you guys are most representing? It sounds like it will eventually span everyone in the industry, mm -hmm. but do you have people, is it more barbershops? Is it more, you know, people with specific needs or is it kind of everybody in the Texas area that you've landed in all of these 550 cities? Do you feel like, I guess my question is, is there a specific area that is more prone to being receptive to this? You know, yeah. the, the, the 10 that didn't hang up out of the 60 mm -hmm. calls. Um, and it sounds like everyone right. will start picking up and staying on and because this is so useful, but mm -hmm. I'm wondering if there is a niche that was more sensitive to um, acquiring sheer share. 
Yeah. Well, I think it's just representative of the number of licensed cosmetologists that we have um, in the U.S. versus licensed barbers. So cosmetology right. incorporates hair, skin, and nails. Um, so our biggest um, subset of the sheer share economy is um, hairstylists. They tend to be female. Um, they tend to work uh, maximum four days a week, um, and they tend to have between zero and five years of experience. Okay. That's interesting. That's really yeah. cool. I mean, it feels this seems like it's going to unpack and and kind of explode the industry as well, because technically you could acquire clients um, in a myriad of cities and states as a stylist, you know, and um, and and rent. You could for me as like the gypsy that I am, I'm like, oh, I would go to Honolulu and pick up some clients there. I'd rent uh -huh. my space, you know, for a couple of weeks there, I would do this. Uh -huh. It kind of expands this lifestyle. I, I mean, immediately, you know, you have um, a history and family with the armed forces. Mm -hmm. I think about military spouses who get uprooted all of the time mm -hmm. and things like that. This is like yep. something that feels like it would really work with that. You know, oh my gosh, you, you hit the nail on the head. Yeah, we just had an email from someone who just got back from overseas. She's female um, officer in the army, and uh, and she was getting out. That was her last tour of duty, and she came back and landed and said, "Oh my gosh, I'm so glad that Sheer Share exists. Like you guys weren't there a couple of years ago, and it feels so good to be able to pick up and do my my first or second passion uh, from day one. I don't have to walk around and cold call salons. I can literally find space to work, book it, and start." getting my, my clients to come back to me. Then we also have on the complete opposite end of that spectrum, stylists who have been doing hair for like 50 years and who may have like three or five clients who just refuse to let them go. And they say, thank goodness for Sheer Share because I can literally bring all five clients to one day. I can rent one suite or one salon station for that day and knock them out. That way I'm able to give to them while they're able to help me feed my family. Absolutely. Is there any way for, uh, have you built it in or have you considered building in um, a rating system so people can rate the salons of course. That on to and kind of share oh. that information across stylists? Oh, yes, definitely. Um, instead of a five star rating, we have a five shears rating on the platform. And so every after every sheer share booking, the host gets to rate the stylist and vice versa. Mm -hmm. And then that shears rating follows your profile around. So the next time that you make a reservation and host Patricia sees that Courtney is looking to book, you can see my other reviews from other salon owners. And you can also see my Shears rating on the platform. That's super important for people in our industry. Absolutely. Especially with like this kind of an app too. And it, it also, oh, yeah. you can build that up, right? You can have, people can see that you've got this myriad of people that are speaking to you and, and all of those things. Mm -hmm. It's self-monitoring, I think in a way that's awesome. Yeah. For a marketplace, you have to have that. Have you and your husband run into any hiccups having this? Um, I think you're only out of you know the past hundred women that I've spoken to this last uh -huh. year, identified and non-binary as well. Um, yeah, you're one of the only people that is involved in this, and it's not uncommon. But there's uh -huh. a lot of people that when they are involved in it won't speak to it loudly uh -huh. and proudly because there it's hit or miss. You know, it used to be very. Um, I think there was a discrimination about having um, any family members, sisters, spouses mm -hmm. in bed together with a startup. Oh, yeah. And then yeah. all of a sudden it flipped about a year and a half, two years ago, and it became very in vogue, you know, to mm. have like this, like, no, we're, you know, we're identical twins and co-founders. And there was like all of this <laughs> rage about having family involved together. But I like um, the authenticity of, you know, how yeah. you kind of just come out there and say it. Have you had mm -hmm. any difficulties or unexpected um kind of successes due to the fact that you're a co-founder with your husband? 
Uh, great question. And and I'm still looking for that in vogue feeling. It still doesn't have that same sense. <laughs> yeah. um, I remember back when we were um, having taking our first few um, investor meetings. And these were with pretty large VCs. And again, this is like 2016, early 2017, right? And I don't know how many times we heard, oh, wait, so you guys are married? Oh, yeah. You know, typically VC firms don't want to, um, you know, get involved or invest in startups with married co-founders, because if anything happens and you guys divorce, there's a whole mess that they have to help clean up. And, you know, they're, they're, not, they're not very attractive to VCs, you know, when the co-founders are married. But then as soon as they finish that sentence, they would say, so like the best co-founding relationship, it's kind of like you guys are married. Like you're always hanging out together. You're making decisions together. You have to figure out how to argue. You have to figure out who's leading this charge here and who's leading this charge there. And we will look at them and say, isn't that funny that you say that? Like in that case, yeah. we have, you know, our first startup was our marriage, right? Our second startup was our son Trey, and he's been acquired by the Air Force Academy. And so Shearshare is just like our third startup. Like we have all of that worked out. Yeah. We even had an investor um, try to convince us that Ty needed to be the CEO because I had the corporate uh, America experience and that, that he needed to step down and be maybe like COO or something. And again, I'm like, that's not, that, that's not how this works. Like there, for, for one, there are very few beauty or barbering brands that can say they have a doctorate of professional barbering and cosmetology who sits at the helm. Like somebody who literally sits on both sides of our marketplace that we're serving. He's a stylist, the master barber stylist who would never call himself a celebrity stylist, but he has been. Um, and then the barbershop and salon owner. And so we have like the best of all worlds. We have a team that is, um, you know, so passionate about each other, like that is my, myself and my husband. Our marriage is an adventure every day, and I trust that man with my life. So how could I not trust him with a simple business decision? Like yeah. I never have to look over my shoulder and go, huh, you know what? The way we split up that equity, I don't know if he's really working as hard as I am, or I don't know if he's re really in it as much. Is he having sleep with? Never do I, does that, that thought ever cross my mind. And so I think it makes for an easier road to success. Like, do we have our, our battles and our ups and downs? Of course, because we're both individuals at the end of the day. We just happen to choose to do life together. But I think one thing that we've done well is that we each have a lane that we run in. I go back to my track and field days when I was at SMU. Uh, and my husband runs in the beauty and barbering lane. Like, he knows how the independent things, he knows the challenges, he knows the hiccups and the things that would cause somebody to choose to leave the industry. And we're doing everything we possibly can in our power to make sure that doesn't happen. And then I run operations and marketing. And so it's a perfect marriage, no pun intended, a perfect marriage, though, of how we make this thing work. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right. I, I always think of investors because um, they are the ones too. And I love it because it's absolutely true. Every single, you go to any startup event and you talk to anyone mm -hmm. who's advising startups and they'll say, co-foundership <laughs> is like a marriage. <laughs> but the number one thing they'll tell you is that they don't want a marriage involved in it. And it's funny because and right. they, there's horror stories all the time. You know, you don't have yeah. to be married to have a co-foundership go very, yeah. very poorly and end no. up in litigation and all of that. It's absolutely true. And it's ironic and they mm -hmm. just need to stop. <laughs> like, <I think laughs> right. You've got as great a chance as anyone else, if not slightly better, mm -hmm. to have a co-founder's, you know, relationship with a, a sure. family member. Yeah. And I think too, like if you just look at married or not, just look at, you know, the co-founding team. I mean, your company is only as healthy as you are. And so yeah. if I see co-founders 
getting married or not, showing up every day, you know, tired and, uh, you know, sleepless nights and being really short with each other and aggravated and frustrated all the time. That doesn't make for a very successful corporate culture. And we've seen a lot of departures lately, especially in the last year of where culture plays a huge role. And uh, glad to say that, that we are not a part of that. We try very hard to make sure that we leave people, places and things better off than when we found them. Nice. Yeah. And it should be a, that's discovery of due diligence. You know, I think that mm -hmm. anyone who's, who's looking for uh, the health and wellness of a company, exactly. You know, you have some very behavioral things that do always tie in as, as anyone knows, mm -hmm. a business is an organism. It's, it's going to live right. and breathe with its founders. Yep. I'm curious if you ran into someone um, tomorrow at a park who was a woman or a woman identified non-binary, that mm -hmm. kind of an individual. And they said, yep. listen, um, I got my BA um, at SMU. I went on, I got my MBA. <laughs> I've worked in tech for a long time on the social end and um, marketing, mm -hmm. and um, I'm ready to kind of go off on my own and start up. Mm -hmm. I've got this idea for this app startup. What are the top three pieces of advice you would give that individual? Mm. I would first try to help them um, set because entrepreneurship is is so like disciplinary, right? Like the yeah. road to success is paved in a lot of blood, sweat and tears. And it's really about doing the little bitty things that nobody cares about. These things are not sexy by far. Um, every single day, every single minute of your startup being alive and getting to be able to round the corner every, you know, so often. And those are the things that are not fun. Like that has nothing to do with media press. That has nothing to do with, I'm a customer calling you and saying, thank you so much for being around. You saved my business. But it's those things that re are required of you as the leader, as the co-founder to make sure they happen every day. So first I would sit down and say, um, you know, that there are five things that you probably should make sure that you're doing every day. And it has nothing to do with metrics or KPIs or OKRs within your business. It is, are you eating well? Are you hydrating well? and I'm not talking about wine, doesn't count. Um, are you moving well? Are you getting up and being active, even if it's just walking to the mailbox and maybe like a quick lap around the block? Um, are you socializing well? Like even though I'm very much an introvert, um, having that family time, that QA time, seeing a person's face is super important to me and it actually fuels me. Um, and then are you sleeping well? Like, don't buy into the myth of, oh, I'm a startup founder and I survived off of lettuce and 0.32 hours of sleep every night. Not at all. Show yeah. me a founder like that and I'll show you um, a business that is tanking. And so I would first help them set up roadblocks for themselves because you will have to put um, some boundaries in place. Secondly, um, I would help them understand the importance of saying no, um, especially as a startup that has um, received some pretty good press um, that has not been purchased, never been purchased. Um, with that comes some people who say, oh, well, you know, I want you to, you know, go in this direction or, you know, here's a new shiny ball, go follow this ball. And you have to be able to say, no, this is the focus. This is the, this is the two, three big things that we're betting big on this year. And you have to stay true to your course because there are a lot of things out there um, that will, you know, try to take your focus and attention away. Um, and then thirdly, I would say, you know, it's okay to get a coach. Like a lot of, especially females, you know, we, we love to say that we're strong females or, um, 
that we can do everything. And, and I get it. You know, you can, you can try to wear the superwoman cape if you want. I've had to turn mine in and give it away and, and hand it off to my, my good girlfriends many, many days. And they've done the same and given it right back to me. But it's okay to get a coach. It's okay to get someone who has been there before you, who is, you know, maybe um, a couple of fundraising series ahead of you or someone who has um, more than one startup in the past and they have a successful exit. Or maybe it's just someone at your church who is more seasoned in life, right? It's okay to go to that person and say, let me just sit by your feet and learn. Like, what can I absorb from you? And it doesn't always have to be about the business. Because again, I firmly, firmly believe that your business is only as healthy as you are. Yeah, absolutely. I've got, um, to summarize, I've got the entrepreneurship is disciplinary based. Mm -hmm. There are five tasks um, that you need to kind of set in your purview. Eating, hydration, moving, socializing, and sleeping. Number two is the importance of saying no. And number three is it's okay to get a coach and take advice. I love those. Those are so key. I think that they're true for life. I've got to say like, this is not just for starting a business. (laughs) This is like an overall, like, I like that a lot. It's it's really powerful stuff. And I am so on board with everything that you say about, I think there's a myth. There was an archetype that was developed that Mm -hmm. was ridiculous and stupid about the entrepreneur living out of the parents' basement. And it went into a profile (laughs) as well. As a woman, I think it's really important to state that the concept, this idea of a skinny little white 19-year-old boy living in his parents' garage (laughs) coding, it was never like that. That was never even how the tech industry got built. It was built on very seasoned, Mm -hmm. realized Mm -hmm. people. They were mothers and fathers. They were older. They had all sorts of ability levels. Like Mm -hmm. The idea that we still kind of herald this ridiculous image of a nerd is so frustrating. No, no. And, And we don't even sit on either coast either, right? We sit right. literally in the middle of America in Dallas, Texas. And so we are we are the complete antithesis of anything that archetype ever resembled. And yeah, I love it. I love that. I really do. And and to fly further in the face of that and be like, you're going to eat well, you're going to be healthy. You need mm-hmm. to sleep, you know, you need to move around. Like mm-hmm. I'm such a proponent of that. I totally agree. I think that Good. that's yeah. And a startup is like a a bloody marathon. It's an ultra marathon and you would not send some, you know, some weak individual out to run their first one, you know, you no. be doing all of these things well. And so I think your advice right. is so spot on and so, yeah. so brilliant. We are out of time, which bums me out because I could go on and hear you forever, but this was fun. Um, I just want to say thank you so much for your time today, Courtney. I know you guys are so busy and I really appreciate you sharing your story and all of your wisdom with us. Yeah. Anytime, Patricia. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. And for everyone listening, you can um, contact Shearshare on their website, www.shearshare.com. Until we speak again next time, thank you for listening. And remember to always bet on yourself. Sunshine.